Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Amen. Uh, Well, you can have a seat. And good morning. Uh, My name is Jacob Smith. Uh, I am our teaching pastor here at Anderson College, and man, it is just a joy for me to be with you. I know we've been a little bit in flux over the last few weeks, and, and we've been in different rooms, and maybe we've been at away games, and then like football games going to overtime. We're like, what's going on? Why am I so stressed? And then so happy. And why? I know that in the mix of all this, man, things are changing and different, but I appreciate you guys sticking with us. That we're kind of moving back into a little bit of normalcy. Uh, and one of the things that I'm excited about is as we transition into this new month of October uh, is that we are beginning a new series. And we're looking at uh, essentially no no longer uh, what we did at the beginning of the semester, looking at the life of Joshua and how God kind of moved him into new ground. Um, But instead, we're looking at what is God calling us to? What does our nation look like? What does our world look like? How can we move forward with a faith that that we can better understand? how can we move forward into this world uh, as people who really know what we believe and, and, and live accordingly? What does that change about us? Right? If we really examine the foundations of our faith, if we've put our trust, our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, if we've been adopted out of sin and death and we've been brought into the body of Christ, we are adopted sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. If that is true of us, which it is for many of us in this room right now, how does that change our movement forward? What does it mean to be a Christian in our world, in our nation, and on our campus? Because I think a lot of times we have misconceptions. We think that when we walk onto our campuses at A&M or Blinn or out at Rellis, when we step onto those campuses, it's easy to assume that those campuses are super Christian. That is a term that I have heard time and time again in my years of college ministry from students, from alumni, from staff members at Grace even. We have this assumption that, oh man, A&M is just this super rich, super Christian place. And the reality is that the numbers simply don't add up to that. You see, we have wonderful relationships. I, I, just, I am privileged to work alongside of so many men and women in our local community who are just sold out for the gospel, who are sold out to point people and help people find and follow Jesus Christ. I, I am privileged to work alongside of them, these kind of extended relatives of ours at other churches and parachurch organizations around our city. And so what I did this last week is I reached out to them and I, and I reached out and I asked them, hey, what is your kind of average involvement look like? What is, on a given week, how many students do you have involved in your college ministry? And so what I did is I, I basically uh, gathered the top, the 10 largest college ministries. And I put all their numbers together. Okay, so these are the 10 largest, not the 10 only college ministries, but the, the 10 largest college ministries. The, the biggest one being about 1,100 students a week. And then the smallest one being about 50. Okay, within the top 10, that's what the spread looks like. And when I put all of that together, we had about 3,000 students in a given week involved in those ministries. And so then I thought, okay, well, I'm missing some students, right? Some students maybe, for example, a lot, some students go to Grace, uh, but they're not coming to the college ministry. They're involved in our main, our family service. And, and that's great. So we need to account for them. We also need to account for all the students that are maybe going to smaller churches uh, in, our, in our area uh, that I wasn't counting on. And so just to be generous, let's double that number. 
So we moved from 3,000 students to about 6,000 students involved in the local church. Okay, generous estimate on a weekly basis. All right, so moving beyond that, uh, when we look at uh, you know, large parachurch organizations in our town, uh, there's this thing called Breakaway that's pretty big uh, and meets weekly up on campus at Reed for the rest of the semester. Uh, and they had, over the last few weeks, about an average weekly involvement of about 3,000 students. And so if we put all of that together, let's assume, again, being generous, let's assume that there's no overlap. Right? Let's assume that there's no one from those churches goes to Breakaway. Uh, not that that's what I want. That's not what I'm recommending, but I'm just, and let's be honest. How many of us have been to Breakaway in the last like couple weeks at some point? Yeah, okay, right. All right, but you, not really. You don't exist, all right? So you, you've now been nullified by my statistics and you don't exist. Let's just assume for the sake of this example that there are, there's no overlap, which gives us about 9,000 students following Jesus on some level, right? So involved in a, in a Christ-centered community on a weekly basis. Now, those 9,000 students are, in fact, a part of a larger student body of about 75,000 students. Right? So between A&M, Blinn, and Relis, we're at 75, we're actually a little bit over there, about 76, 70, 77,000 now in our local area. Right? But 75,000 students, so nine out of 75, I don't know if any of us are mathematicians and are already like three steps ahead of me, but that's 12%. All right? And you're like, oh yeah, I got it. Anyone like do the math before I even put up the slide? Get it. Way to go. I'm proud of you. Uh, 12%, which is very Aggie of us, right? All right. Woo, yeah, 12, 12%, man. Like, that's it. Great. Awesome. But this is the actual raw statistic, the raw number, the actual statistic of how many students on a weekly basis are involved in a Christ-centered community deciding, I'm going to follow Jesus alongside of like-minded Individuals, 9,000 out of 75, 12% of our campus. Okay, to put that in perspective, uh, I, I was thinking about some of the other, um, you know, things that we do and other, other elements, other things that students show up to enforce. Uh, one of them is Big Event. And, and this last year, Big Event had its biggest year yet with 21,000 students showing up, which is, you know, really great. And it's just over double the number of students that are actively following Jesus in a given week. It's maybe Midnight Yell is another area where a lot of students show up, about 25,000 people. Some of those are old ags, some of them are current students. Uh, but that's you know, almost three times the number of students that are actually following Jesus on a consistent weekly basis. And, and suddenly when I began to look at the things that we showed up to, when I began to look at the, the ways that we get involved, I saw that we had 12% of our student body. And when I see that number, it's hard for me to then say that A&M is super Christian. Right? If you went and got a 12% on your next math test, you wouldn't walk out saying, I am a super mathematician, right? I mean, you might because you got a 12 and you don't understand numbers. Uh, the reality is you'd walk out of that and you'd say, I am a history major. Yep, now I know. Like, that's, that's what I'm cut out for. And that's okay. But you wouldn't say, man, I'm great at this. When we look at the campus of A&M and Blaine and Russ, we don't say, I don't think we can say with, with absolute certainty, I don't think we can say in good conscience that it's actually a super Christian environment. 
Because 88% of that population, to the best of our knowledge, according to this rough survey, is not actively following after Jesus. Maybe some of them found Jesus earlier in life and have simply walked in a different path. Maybe they lost sight of him. But my guess is that the vast majority have never followed him by choice. Because the reality is that a lot of times it's not even a lack of information. It's not that they're unaware that Christianity exists. It's they know just enough that they've chosen to reject it. And man, that is an overwhelming obstacle that should break our hearts. If you're a Christian, then by definition, you are someone who has said that I, I know that, there, that, that the way and the truth and the life is found only through Jesus Christ. I, I know that true life and, and abundance and joy and satisfaction and, and eternal relationship with God, that is only found through Jesus Christ. That's our gospel. That we've been saved out of death by a God who loves us, by a God who pursued us, by a God who sent his one and only son to die for us so that we could be reconciled to him, so that we could have relationship with him for all of eternity. That's our gospel. It's not that we've done great things. It's not that we've somehow done the right stuff. It's not that we've earned his approval. It's a gift of grace given to us by faith. And when we see that 88% of our campus isn't on board with that, that should break our hearts. And it should move us towards them. See, when Christ looked at his disciples, he knew that there was a lot of world that had yet to be reached. Right? He, he had these 12 core disciples, and he knew that they're going to have to start moving, start talking, get going, if other people are going to hear about what Jesus did for the entire world. World. And so when he was about to leave his disciples for the last time in Matthew 28, we see that the 11 disciples, right, they were 12. One of them uh, fell away, uh, betrayed Christ, and so they, they replaced him shortly thereafter. But 11 of the 12, they went to Galilee, to the mountain that Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them still doubted. And I think this is a really important point that Matthew's bringing up. And saying that, you know, the reality is that we need to always remember that just as it's easy to look at campus and say, man, it's like super Christian, like there's all these people, and, and yet there's actually a great need. It is even easier for us to look at rooms like this and be like, oh, well, you know, we're in a church. It's like God's house. So like surely a lot of us are Christian. And, and yeah, a lot of us are following Jesus, but I know that some of us aren't. Some of us still have doubts. Some of us still have fears. Some of us still see have hang-ups. And we don't know what we believe about Jesus, about who he is and what he did for us. Some of us are in that boat. Some of us are looking at the face of Christ and still doubt. And man, let me tell you that, that I love that you're here. And I would love to talk with you after the service. I would love to connect with you. I would love to hear about your journey, about where you're at, about what you believe. I would love to tell you more about who Jesus is and what he means to me. And I know for a lot of us that that we are in that, but we're worshiping Christ. We're worshiping with our hearts, with our minds, with 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 our strength. And so when Christ looked at these disciples, when he looked at the people that are that are already they're ready to go, right? They're filled with purpose. He says, "This is what I need you to do." 
So I need you to recognize that, that this is coming from a place of authority, right? It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It says, you can trust the words that I'm about to give you. It says, this is your end all be all, right? This is straight from the source, straight from the top. It says, this is your command to go and make disciples of all the nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. It says, I need you to see that you have a purpose beyond yourself. I need you to see that there's a need out there, that there's 12 of you and maybe some of your family, maybe a few other friends on this hilltop. It says, but the reality is that there's a whole world out there that I love, that I died for. And I want you to bring them into this family. That's what he's meaning by saying to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He says, I want them to experience the the baptism of the Spirit, meaning that they're made a new creation. They're transformed by the renewing of their mind, but because of this faith that they've put in me. He says, bring them into the family and then follow up with them. Teach them, train them, equip them, help them move forward in this faith. He says, "And, and realize that as you move forward in this purpose, remember, I'm with you. I'm with you to the very end of this age. In other words, you're not going uh, out of your own strength, out of your own ability, out of your own power. He says, you're moving forward, propelled by my command, empowered by my spirit, to go and reach the people that I've lined up for you to know, for you to interact with, for you to bring into this family, to share your faith with. And if this is our command, right, if this is our mission, again, this is an overwhelming obstacle, right? Pointing people to Jesus is incredibly, can be incredibly intimidating because there are a lot of people out there who don't know him, who don't want to know him. So how do we move towards them? How how, how do we engage with this incredible obstacle of non-belief? Well, well, at one point in, in, our, in our national history, just, just speaking about us uh, in America, is that you know, we had these revivals. We had these, these, these moments, these seasons in our nation's history where evangelism a lot of times looked like someone just kind of standing up on a barrel and just yelling out about Jesus. And people would just like, boom, they just like come to faith. They'd be like, yep, that's what I need. That barrel guy, he got it. Like, that's, that's what I need to hear. It's simply getting information out there. That's why we have all this like printed material. We have tracks and stuff like that where you're like, you're walking down the street, you're like, $20. You're like, oh, it's a gospel. Ugh. You know, like that's, that's a thing. And, and, you know, God can still move in that way for sure. Uh, but the reality is that, you know, a lot of times in this day and age, if people are just throwing information out there, we don't want it. We see past the impersonal information. That's why this past week, some of us got this message on our phones, which like, you know, just like 40 years ago, people would be like, what? Like, that would be amazing. The president can text your, they'd be like, what's a phone? What's a president? Oh, they had presidents, but they, they didn't have this, right? Like, that's nuts. And yet, people immediately, I love, I love our nation, because people immediately were like, this is dumb, and they started to make fun of it. And they're like, hey, anybody get this text alert? And they make it about Fortnite. There were so many about Fortnite. I don't know why. So many people are like, I want Trump to be on Fortnite. Uh, other people would just, they're like, he needs to get out really important information. <laughs> the truth. Everyone knows it's true. You can't move to like a golf resort on the beach and think it's the same. That's not the same. People, people thought, you know what, maybe, maybe he really needs to get out the real truth, right? <laughs> There's a skeleton in here. 
Oh, it's like my favorite. It's my favorite thing I've ever read. And people began to mock. They mocked this, this, this important procedure and test of a system that could possibly save lives in the future. They mocked it. Why? Because in this day and age, if it's not personal, it's not powerful. If the message doesn't carry a personal piece, it's not powerful. We see past the impersonal information of our day and age because there's so much information coming at us at all times. And so the people, when we just kind of throw it out, they're like, well, this is what Jesus is. And like, well, maybe someone here. Again, maybe the Lord can use that to grab someone's heart and mind and bring them to himself, absolutely. But generally speaking, people are not uninformed. Generally speaking, in our nation, on our campus in, in particular, it's not that people just have never heard about what Christianity is, what Christianity believes, uh, the tenets of the faith. You know, that's, that's not the, ignorance is not the issue. It's intentional rejection. It's that people are, by and large, in this generation, in your generation, our, our vast majority people that are not Christians, the vast majority of them are what we call post-Christian. Meaning that they've heard just enough about Christianity to intentionally choose to be apathetic or antagonistic towards the Christian faith. They've heard it. They saw it. Their parents tried to tell them like one time or they went to that one VBS or they went to church a few times a year and, and, and they've heard enough to say, I don't want to have any part of that. Because they don't believe in what was said or they've seen conflicting views of what Christianity actually is. They've gotten burned by personal relationships with Christians. And, and what we need to realize is that our faith needs a personal touch. To really be effective, to really meet, meet the, the hearts and minds of where people are in this day and age, we need to be personal with our faith. So how do we do that? I mean, one strategy is that uh, we could empower certain individuals to just go and do it, right? That's who I am. I live and breathe and survive. I live under a house and I eat food and I feed my family because other people sacrifice. Men and women in our, local, in our local body, in our congregation, they sacrifice of their own financial gain so that I can do what I do. And they're trying to empower me to then go and to fulfill this mission, right? To make these disciples. And, and you know, that, that's effective on some level. Uh, does anyone on the front row have a phone that has a built-in timer? Probably, right? We live in 2018. Uh, <laughs> Jacob, you will be it. Okay, so come. Come, Jacob. Join me on stage. So this is Jacob, another Jacob. Uh, fun fact, Jacob started a group me of all Jacobs, and it's one of the strangest things I've ever been involved in. There are 85 now. There are 85 now. It's... It's so bizarre, um, but I love it. Uh, and this is what we're going to do. Uh, Jacob is going to give me 10 seconds, and we're going to see, Jacob, how many people I can high-five in 10 seconds. But to help me, uh, I'm going to need everyone in the entire room to raise, raise one hand. And as soon as you get high-fived, uh, you're going to lower your hand, okay? That's how it's going to work. So you raise up your hands, you get high-fived, you lower your hand. Any questions about that? No, okay. Raise your hand if you have a question. No, just kidding. All right, so... You're going to give me 10 seconds, Jacob, and I'm going to see how many I can have. I've just, what are you going to yell out to have me start? Jacob. Okay. 
true to form. Uh, what are you going to yell to make me stop? You're going to yell Jacob. Okay, great. This is really taking a turn. All right. So I'm going to turn off my mic so people don't hear me breathing. Uh, but tell me when to go. Super fast. Oh, man. Yeah, that makes way more sense. Because at the 9.15, I got, like, way less. All right, so I thought, like, oh, maybe I'm fast now. Uh, so where was I, like, when I, where would you say I was? Oh, is it the fire? Oh, my God. Wait, what fire? Oh, the exit? Oh, the fire extinguisher. Okay, okay. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. No, no, stay up here, Jacob. All right, so, all right, so. I got to like, I don't know, what, 22 or something? That's pretty good. I got, uh, that's pretty good. Uh, well, it's interesting because in the first verse, I got 19. There you go. Uh, so I am increasing my time. That's good. If I keep at it, maybe I'll get more. Uh, but, okay, so this is what we're going to do. That's one strategy. Maybe you train me up. Uh, in the first service, I had some staff help me. That helped a little bit, all right? We got to like, I don't know, like 50 in the same amount of time. But this is what we're going to do. Uh, is For round two, for our second strategy, what we're going to do is I'm only going to high-five two people, okay? But here's the rule. When you get high-fived, you then have to high-five two people, all right? So every, every time you get your hand slapped, you got to then slap two more hands. Does that make sense? And then you can be done, all right? So then just like be seated and put your hand down. Uh, but same thing. So we're all going to start with one hand up. You're going to get your hand slapped. When you get slapped, you're going to take, uh, you're going to slap two more hands. Okay, ready? Uh, so just do a stopwatch. Stopwatch? We're just going to see what this time looks like, okay? See until you get everyone basically. Until you, well, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. So you and me will watch. So what, you want to start with Jacob again? Okay, I love it. All right. <laughs> Yell it out loud and proud. Jacob! I'm done. All right, stop it. Oh, wait. Okay, we'll add like a second. Good job. All right. Oh, dang, man. All right, so that was 32. Great-great-grandparents in the room? All right. Uh, 32 seconds. Well done. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you, Jacob. Uh, didn't Jacob do a great job of timing everything? That was great. So we had, we had uh, 32 seconds to reach the entire room, which is pretty, pretty darn good, right? Like, it took me 10 seconds we had about 20. Uh, if I were to guess this... Uh, oof, mm. <laughs> You guys are on it today. Way to go. I'm proud of you. Uh, we uh, reached, what, how did we get reset? Go back to uh, uh, skeleton. All right, there we go. So we, if you m- multiplied me out, right? So if, I, so if I, let's say I hit that number uh, and then you triple it, right, which is not even realistic because I'd have to get like all, I was running down the aisle. I mean, that's easy beans, right? Like, if I tried to get into, like, the middle of, like, this section, it would be impossible, and it, people would get hurt. Laps would be crushed, like, because I can't get there, right? I just simply cannot reach that area of the room, and, and, and if I, even if we multiply it out, right, I, I've got, like, 60 people in, in 30 seconds, and we reached the entire room, right? If I were to ballpark, we're probably looking at about, this is about four, uh, it's probably about 500 people, right? 
in 30 seconds. That's crazy. And that is ultimately what Jesus is commanding his disciples to do. It's ultimately what Austin Hornung, one of our fellows, is going to come up and he's going to share with us about how can we actually practice this process of multiplication. Of every single one of us being bought into this vision. Of every single one of us having this mission of moving forward with the goal of I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring two people along with me in this journey of following Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, if you do that, you play out those numbers. You, if, if I have two disciples, if I just make two, if I intentionally develop two people over the course of a year, who then the next year choose their two, and, and then their two, and them two, and then I start over every year with a new two, and a new two, and a new two. I mean, what's incredible is, is you reach, you, you play out those numbers, you play out that multiplication, you have that exponential growth, and it is absolutely staggering how quickly we could actually reach this world. And suddenly, through the process of multiplication, this overwhelming obstacle becomes an opportunity to see God's power through his people to reach this world that he loves, that he sent his son to die for. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment, right, before Austin comes up and shares with us kind of some, some specific direction to go, we're going to take a moment and, and reconnect with those people around us. All right, so maybe you slapped their hand, maybe you didn't. That's okay, right? Like, if, if, they, if you didn't, you don't have to apologize. You know, it's like, next time. You know, but that's, it's fine. Water under the bridge. But you're going to grab one or two people around you, and you're going to share with them one simple thing. Uh, some of us are going to share with them, hey, uh, I'm not actually sure where I'm at with Jesus. And, and that's, a, that's a wonderfully legitimate thing to share. To say, like, you know, I, I'm not actually following Jesus right now. That's, that's not... I'm not sure that that's what I want to be a part of. It's not necessarily a mission I buy into. And, and that's, that's great. Just share that. Be honest. We would, we would love for you to just be honest about where you are spiritually. Um, for others of us, we, we are following Jesus. We, we know that this is uh, who we are and what we want to do. And, and so what you're going to do is you're going to share really briefly. Well, he, these are two people. These are two names of people I can bring along with me in this, in this journey of following Jesus. And you can be specific or vague. Whatever. You can say like just people from my house or people from work or whatever. Like I would encourage you to at least use initials or first names or something. But you're just going to share really briefly with each other. You know, where you're at, who you could bring with you, and then take the next few minutes to, to pray for each other. To, to remember that Christ is with us, that the Spirit is empowering us, that, that the Lord is, has planned this out. He, he's laid a path before you to walk. And so pray and ask that the Spirit would move powerfully through your lives. That he would empower you to have those conversations, to, to make those invitations, to, 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 to cast the vision for how real life, true love is found only through Jesus Christ. So find one or two people around you, share, pray, and we'll bring you back in just a few minutes. Race that, go. Well, God, we thank you for what Jacob said this morning. We thank you for the names of two people being said all around this room, Lord. God, we ask that that we would move forward with the, the names that have been spoken, with the people that we've prayed for and prayed with, God, that we, would, that we would reach out to the people around us. And that for those of us in the room who haven't taken that step, who said, yes, Lord, I'm all into this, God, I, I pray that, that the conversations would continue with the people that they've met, 
And God, I just pray that you would, you would be here in this room and you would speak through me for this last little bit of time that we have this morning and that um, things that are said would be helpful and would be carried out of this room to help build up people to live lives in pursuit of you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, hey guys, good morning. As Jacob said, my name is Austin Hornung. I'm on staff here at Grace College as a fellow. And a part of what I do is my job here is I oversee our campus evangelism ministry. But for those of you who know me, um, you might notice that my face is still a little bit puffy. And that's because this week um, I got wisdom tooth surgery. And um, that was on Tuesday. And so this was me on Tuesday right afterward. (laughs) Yep, and those are my teeth. And uh, I didn't realize at the time that that was gross because I was, you know, on drugs and whatnot. But uh, this is me a few days later (laughs) when the swelling had set in. And so now all of you have seen the most disgusting picture of me ever taken. So I guess we're friends now. Um, But yeah, that was me on Thursday. And so this week, you know, went to go get the wisdom teeth out. Um, I've I've spent all of my 22 years of life. Hey, there it is. Yeah, my... The whole time I've been alive, I've avoided getting any kind of surgery, getting an IV in my arm, but on Tuesday, I found myself sitting in the doctor's chair, needle in my arm, um, and he walks in, and he says, okay, are you ready to get started? And uh, I was not. I wanted to say, like, okay, not ready to get started. I'm supposed to be asleep before you get started. Um, But before I could say those words, the next thing I knew, I was the guy in the video. It was over, Um, just like that. And I I probably wouldn't have gone and even gotten my wisdom teeth out on Tuesday if it wasn't for my girlfriend. So she had called and set both of us up with appointments so that we could go and do this scary experience together, which which wasn't romantic those first couple of days, you know, puffy face, kind of drooling blood a little bit. But um, after that, we got to sit around and, you know, watch movies and eat ice cream. So it was kind of great. But... The reason, the reason I tell you those things is because what I, what I knew that I should have done for like six years, I, I finally did because I had someone who came alongside of me. And, and I say that because evangelism can be a lot like, it can feel a lot like going to get your wisdom teeth out. There's a lot of anticipation built up about it, but luckily evangelism is way, way, way less painful. Um, but it's also a lot easier when you don't go at it alone. Jesus recognizes that we need others to go with us when we're sharing our faith. So if you still have your Bible out from when Jacob was reading the Great Commission, flip a few chapters over to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be in the first verse, Luke 10, 1. And that says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Go, I am sending you out like lambs surrounded by wolves. So the the first thing I wanted to say about this passage at the beginning of Luke chapter 10 is that Jesus probably could have sent these 72 people out to a lot more towns ahead of him if he had sent them individually, by themselves. 
But instead we see that he, he tells them to go with somebody. He sends them two by two to go with someone. And I think, you know, Jesus being God in the flesh on earth already knew something that I've learned this past year, um, going out on campus and sharing my faith and encouraging others to do the same. And that's that it's a lot more effective when you have someone to go with you. You're a lot more likely to stop and actually talk to people and and not pass people up. And if you have someone with you who can pray for you and, and pray with you and pray during your conversation when the other of you is talking, and it, it makes it go a lot easier when you have someone with you. Also, I, I think the other important thing to notice from this passage is that Jesus acknowledges that it's going to be scary. He, he describes it as, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. And it's like, well, thanks, Jesus. That inspires a lot of confidence that you're sending me out like a lamb with wolves. But what does he do? He still tells them to go. And he still tells them to pray that other people will come with them. And I think that's because he knows that it's worth it. The stakes are way too high if we look at our world and we see that in our campus, in our our Christianish public university, that only 12% of students are involved in any meaningful way. We soon realize that it's going to take all of us in that 12% to go and, and be sharing our faith with others if we're ever going to reach the 88% and, and help them find and follow Jesus into a life that is, is filled with meaning and purpose and community. So last fall was my first semester as a fellow, and I was new at doing campus evangelism. So me and one of my friends, it was his first time to come with me. We were out on campus, and um, we saw this guy, and we're like, okay, I think we're supposed to talk to him, but both of us were like, I don't know. Do you want to start the conversation? And so like, since we were in and out about it, we're like, okay, we're going to do it. So we go and talk to this guy, find out his name is Richard. And so we tell Richard, hey, Uh, We're with Grace Bible Church, and we're out here serving students about what they believe. So do you have a few minutes to answer a few questions? And his response wasn't the most, like, confidence-inspiring thing when you're going out to share your faith with somebody. He says, uh, as long as you don't try to force me to believe what you do. And so that kind of put us back a little bit, but we're still like, oh, okay, well, um, we, we can't force you to believe anything, but we would love to hear where you're at and, and what you're going through and, you know, these kinds, of, these kinds of questions on this app that we're using to ask questions. And so he, he takes it and we talk through him about what he believes about God and what he believes about the meaning and purpose of life and about the human nature. Are we more bad than good, more good than bad? Are we neutral or perfect or broken? Um, and what he believed about Jesus. Was he fake? Was he just a spiritual being? Is he the creator and savior of the world? And finally, we ask the fifth question, which is, you know, where do you get your answers to this? What's your source of these spiritual truths? And so through that conversation, we found out that Richard was Jewish, which again, like, didn't inspire all that confidence because we're like, oh my gosh, we should have really studied like Isaiah to show him how Jesus is this Jewish Messiah, but we didn't really have that information. So we just talked to him. We were able to use the app to share the gospel with him, just talk through, you know, who Jesus is and, and all of that. And at the end of the conversation, um, he, he got to a point where he's like, you know, I don't, I don't really know why I think Jesus isn't the Messiah, and I really just need to look more into that. And he proceeded to tell us that it was the most non-confrontational and just like genial, easy conversation he'd had about religion in his whole life. And so he, he went from being um, afraid we were going to try to force something on him to realizing that 
you know, we just wanted to, we just wanted to talk. And he had a better view of Jesus, who he was, and, and what he'd done for him than before we started. And I tell you that this morning, first of all, because, you know, if Jacob and I hadn't been together talking to Richard, we, um, we, we probably wouldn't have stopped and talked to him. But also, but that's kind of what a victory might look like if you come with us on campus evangelism. Because you might not see someone pray to receive Christ. Richard didn't that day. I still don't know if he has. But he, his understanding of who Jesus was shifted in a positive direction. And so I, I say that to invite you to come with us to campus evangelism. We go out every single week all of the fellows on Grace College staff at Anderson and Southwood, we all go. Um, we, we invite students to come with us on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. We meet at Rudder Fountain at 1130. So if you're already on campus, come join us. Um, you don't, don't have to stay the whole time if you have classes to go to, but most people generally have a lunch break in that time. So we'll, if you come, we'll pair you up with somebody who's gone before, most likely. My prayer is that there will be so many of you that come this week from this morning that haven't been before, that you'll get to go with someone who maybe hasn't been before, and you'll get to step into this together. But we'll show you how to use perspectives or how to start a conversation over lunch. And so we, we encourage you to come with us this week, next week. Um, we have a sign-up in the back. My friend Jack is back there on the counter. If y'all wave to Jack. Um, you can come sign up, Jack and Will, yeah. Um, you don't, signing up isn't a commitment, oh, like, I'm for sure going to be there on Thursday. But it's a place where you can get more information about what we do and, and what it looks like. So maybe your next step this morning isn't to come, but maybe it's just to, to put your name down, to give us your phone number and say, like, hey, I would be willing to see what this might look like a little bit more. So if you come with us, there might be times that feel as scary as the thought of getting your wisdom teeth out. There might be times where you feel like, a lamb surrounded by wolves, but what I can promise you is that it will, it will be worth it. Just look at what the disciples, the 72 that Jesus sent out, look at the response when they come back. Down in verse 17, then the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to your name. Sharing your faith will give you moments of great purpose and joy, just like it did for them. The, the 13 verses we skipped in the middle between verse 3 and verse 17, they, they don't give you a lot of insight into what their, their time went like. They just, they go out and they're back. And um, I think that might be to show us that kind of like when I had my wisdom tooth surgery, I was dreading it, I was there, and then all of a sudden I was on the other side of it. Evangelism can be a lot the same way in that you go out and the hardest part is just starting a conversation with somebody. And then you'll get to the end and you'll look back and be like, wow, I, I did something with my time today that actually mattered, not just today, but for eternity. And so, if, I, I think it's important to look at why, they, what they say when they return. So they return with joy, we get that from the text, but what is it that they say? I, I think it's cool that they don't say, Jesus, we had all the right answers when we went out. They probably didn't. They didn't say, Jesus, look at what we did when we went out to these places you told us to go. They don't say that either. They say that even the forces of evil, even the forces that were going against them, they couldn't stand against the name of Jesus. They were, they were marveling not about what they had done, but about what God had done through them and in them and around them throughout this experience. They had joy because of what they'd seen God do. 
So my last semester of college, I was on campus getting lunch with my friend Jacob Gonzalez. He's now a college fellow at Anderson also, but we were both students at the time. And so we're getting lunch. We prayed before we ate, and then we were about to leave after we ate. And this guy is sitting next to us. He, he stopped, and he, he asked us, you know, why, why did you guys pray before you had your food? And so we're like, okay, this is our opportunity. So we start talking with this guy. We share that it's because, you know, we, we serve this God, who, and we recognize that, you know, all good things come from him, and that's because we have this relationship with him, that he was Jesus. And, you know, we shared the gospel with him and, and asked more about his background, and through that we found out that he was a professor in Iraq, and this was his first day there, and he was a Muslim guy, only here for this one week, but he's very interested in what we had to say. Um, so we, we met up with him a couple more times throughout the course of that week. We were able to share the gospel with him a couple different ways, and we even, we even found uh, Grace has a storage closet with Bibles in it in different languages, so we found him an Arabic Bible and an English Bible, and we brought them both to him before he left, and we didn't realize at the time that his next step should have been we should have invited him to pray to receive Christ. But he, he did leave telling us that he'd experienced more joy through our conversations that week than in many years of his recent history in his life. And so he left, and luckily um, God kept us connected. And I was in class one day, and my phone started ringing, and so I got out in the hall, tried to answer it, right after class, figure out that it's him calling me through Facebook, which I didn't even know was a thing that could happen at the time. Um, but we got this Facebook phone call between me and him and Jacob. Um, here's a picture of us. Yeah. Um, he's friendlier than he looks, I promise. Um, <laughs> but we, were, we got this phone call, and we're getting to, to talk with him, and he introduces us to his nine-year-old daughter. And they're both in Iraq, and we get to talk with her and see that she's been reading the English Bible that we gave her, and he's been reading the Arabic one, and we got to share the gospel with her as well. And I remember hanging up from that phone call, just being absolutely blown away at what we'd seen God do, because we didn't even start that conversation. We were just sitting there, having lunch one day, and an opportunity came up, and we happened to know what to do to take it. To, to some degree, to share the gospel with this guy. And that day, our, our lives meant something for a family on the other side of the world that might have never heard the name of Jesus otherwise. And, and I share that story because, yes, we'd love for you to come to Campus Evangelism with us. It's a way to get equipped. Please come. Please give us your name in the back. But, but more than that, we want you to live lives that are about sharing the gospel, that that you will be equipped and, and you'll know how when these, these conversations just come up, that you'll be able to, to know what to say and to talk through with somebody. Because the, the truth is when you step out into the workforce, the statistics look about the same. It's about 12% of students at A&M. It's about that or less when you get to millennials in the workforce and the, the jobs you're stepping into in Houston and Dallas and Chicago and wherever in the world. And we want you to be able to, to learn skills now that you'll be able to take all over the world with you into the rest of your life. And so sharing your faith will give you moments of great purpose and joy. So, so this week, when you're in class, um, take, take moments to, to talk to that person at the end of the row that's sitting by themselves, to ask them for their story, to, to share yours, to ask them what they're involved in. Say like, hey, I go to Grace Bible Church. Do you go to church anywhere? 
and kind of gauge where they're at with Jesus through that conversation. And um, this, this is just the start of a series about how to, how to share your faith. Keep coming back these next couple of weeks. Um, put on your, on your calendar, on your radar, we have a class called Evangelism 101 coming up at the end of the month, October 27th. It'll be here in this room on a Wednesday night. Uh, we'd love for you to come to that, get better equipped to share your faith on campus, just with your friends. Um, and yeah, evangelism may be scary, but we don't have to do it alone. And once we go out, we will return with more purpose and more joy than when we left. So as the band comes back up, I'm going to pray for us this morning. So if you'd pray with me. God, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you that we serve you, a God who loves people. That you are focused on people and, and you love them and, and you love us and you want to use us and give us purpose to reach the people around us. So God, I pray that you would use this morning to propel us forward. That we would use the gift of knowing you to give that gift to others as well. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen.